welcome to Able Voice Podcast, where your voice is more than a melody. We're your hosts, Haley and Kim. Hi, I'm Haley Francis Can, a certified music therapist and author living and working in Bermuda. I'm passionate about lots of things, but find my clinical passion in working with older adults, children, and in neurologic rehabilitation. Before moving here, I lived in Canada for 10 years, and that's how I met Kim. Hi, I'm Kimberly Dolan. I'm a certified music therapist and singer-songwriter based in Kingston, Ontario. I work with many people, but my main area of focus is within the realm of mental health care, supporting people of all ages in living a fulfilled and healthy life. Together, we have a practice called Synergy Music Therapy and Wellness Services, with the five core pillars of advocacy, accessibility, building collaborative relationships, improving clinical standardization, and self-exploration. With this podcast, we are on a mission to plant seeds in a growing field through conversations with music therapists and allied professionals in Canada and around the world about their practicing journey and passion for music therapy. We're We're glad glad you're here to join us. Stephanie Lieval is the creator of Music for Kiddos, a website that provides high-quality music and music resources for music therapists, music educators, and parents. She's mom to a spunky young daughter, a seasoned performer, an experienced music educator, and a board-certified music therapist. Stephanie is a Berklee College of Music graduate and is passionate about using music to help kids succeed. She specializes in working with babies and kids through age six. Stephanie jokes that she has a low tolerance for cheesy music. She writes music to help her kids be successful in their daily life. Nighttime routines, transitions, movement, instrument exploration, academic concepts, and helping kids understand and express their feelings. Music cannot be prescribed because the effectiveness of music is highly individualized. But this is a starting point. Some tried and true music and resources that you might find helpful too. Let's dive right into this chat. Right. So we're so excited to talk to you, Stephanie, today. I think I probably have an Instagram crush on you and all your content. So likewise. (laughs) It's exciting to get to sit down and chat. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, likewise, it's so fun to meet people that um, I've been able to connect with on social media because I feel like I know you all. So (laughs) that's fun especially in this climate that we're in right now. I feel like everybody in the social media universe is just coming together a little more these days. So it's exciting to get to have kind of a one-on-one or two-on-one conversation here today with you. Learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So we always like to start off the podcast just by getting to know our guests and asking to just describe your journey to becoming a practicing music therapist. Oh, mine is kind of an interesting one because I didn't start out being interested in music therapy, mostly because I didn't know about it. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a little different these days. You know, this was like 20 years ago. So I went to school to study composition found out that composition wasn't really my thing um, because I'm, I'm really a songwriter and I'm not really a composer. Um, and, and my composition uh, instructors were kind of frustrated with me because I would create these compositions and I would put in these sections for improvisation and they'd be like, that's not composition. 
so anyway, I realized that what I thought composition was, wasn't really what it was. And I ended up transferring to Berklee College of Music because of the improvisational nature of kind of the music that they do there. And I actually planned to be uh, a music business major. I don't know. I saw myself like living in New York City and working for a record label, which is just strange because it's just strange now. I don't know that I would do that, but that's what I thought at the time. And then what happened about like three weeks before I went to school, I, I don't think I really had a dream. I just like woke up in the middle of the night. I kid you not. I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought to myself, I need to be a music therapist. And it was such a strange experience. And at that point I had heard of music therapy because I had looked at the majors at Berkeley and my composition instructor, who was a lovely person, she used to do um, music in correctional facilities and places like that. And she, she laughed because every time I would just ask her about that kind of work that she was doing. So she kept being like, uh, you're not a music business major. She kept telling me that. And I kept being like, stop telling me that, like, <laughs> just support me in what I want to do, you know, um, but she was right. And so then I had this strange experience where I woke up in the middle of the night and I just like, my eyes popped open and I thought I'm going to be a music therapist. And so then I started researching and it was like, no going back after that. Isn't that a weird story? <laughs> That's a great story. I love it so much. And sure enough, I, you know, I went to Berkeley my first semester. I took a music therapy 101 course and I was just like, I, I'm made for this. It was amazing. And so thank goodness. I thought, you know, I tra was transferring to a school that had a music therapy program. Otherwise I would have had to transfer again. <laughs> Absolutely. And that you were so flexible and like your own plan for yourself that it was able to change with that kind of shift in your, in your thought process and in your interest at that point. Yeah. And I have made big shifts in my life since, and that's like one, one of the consistent things uh, for me is that sometimes I just make these big, these big changes. And I think I have finally, gosh, after lots of different music therapy jobs, even leaving the field for a little while, returning back to music therapy, um, I think I have finally found my place. <laughs> finally, maybe 15 years worth of searching, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while to really figure out what that exact place to be is. But I mean, it sounds like your journey has been extremely rich. And uh, I know I love that, that, um, that visual of you just sitting up in bed and being like, ah, oh, this is what I, this is what I'm called to. Yeah. And so now you have your practice, Music for Kiddos. Fast forward to that. Can you tell us what, tell us about Music for Kiddos and how did we, how did you get there? How did that practice come to be? Yeah. So probably about, it, it was about a little over four years ago that I started Music for Kiddos. And I was inspired to start Music for Kiddos based on this podcast I was listening to. I'm like an avid podcast listener and it was called Side Hustle School. And I was at this stage in life where I didn't really know what to do. Um, I, my husband had just returned back to school after working professionally for a while. He had just turned, returned back to school and we had uh, moved my family from Idaho to Indiana so that he could go to school where I lost, you know, I, I at that transition point, I gave up my private practice. Um, I had given up my hospital job. Um, I 
was working kind of a part-time remote job and I needed some, I needed some income, but I didn't have family support in Indiana. And so I wanted something really flexible. So I was listening to this podcast and I, and I, I kind of started putting, putting things together. So it was kind of inspired, at, you know, in one way by that podcast, but in another way, I stumbled into a job in Indiana. And that job was teaching preschool music at my daughter's school her Montessori school. And I thought I can do that. Sure. Sounds fun. And I had worked mostly one-on-one with kids and I had done a few groups with kids. And then all of a sudden I was um, in front of 25 adorable preschoolers. I love preschoolers in front of them. And they schooled me. They schooled me. It was so hard. The transition um, from one-on-one to a group of 25 preschoolers. So I started like Googling and I'm like looking for songs and I'm realizing this, this improvisational like technique that I had honed over years, just is, it just is different. It doesn't really work in a large group. And so um, I had to kind of go back to basics and start looking for repertoire. And I was finding things like Lori Berkner's We Are the Dinosaurs and the Goldfish song and, you know, um, just some other wonderful existing songs. And I I, I also started writing my own music because I wasn't really finding like the songs that were in my style that I was looking for. And so I started writing my own music more intentionally and I started recording that music and I started sharing it with music therapists. And then that, that in combination with this podcast inspiration in combination with a total necessity of needing some extra income, all of that together turned into music for kiddos. Now, was it like a, a something that did actually turn into income right away? No, <laughs> it was like such a slog. It was such a slog. I think finally, like a year and a half in, two years in, I realized that it could work as like eventually a business. Yeah. I, I'm sure not only for me, but for a lot of people out there who are thinking about venturing off and starting a business on their own, maybe out of necessity, like your story has has just been shared. Um, but maybe just, you know, that's what they've always been passionate about and always thought that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be mm-hmm. a business owner that, you know, it's not sometimes if we're lucky, I guess it's an overnight thing. We can be an overnight success, but there's something so beautiful and human about the, the process of how we get to a certain place. And I think that's what we love about learning um, and hearing people's stories when they come on the podcast is, you know, that authentic authenticity in, in growth and, and, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but eventually if we're persistent and we, you know, we really work hard at it and dedicate a, a significant amount of time into it, it can grow into something beautiful and that discomfort then becomes the product of something beautiful later on, um, which I think you've created such a beautiful platform with music for kiddos not only you're providing high quality resources for kids but for their parents for other music therapists and continuing education you you have a podcast now so you've come from a listener to a podcast to now having your own podcast what's that been like it's just been a really interesting process and i i think that I think that you're right that like it would might be easy to come in at this stage and go, wow, look at all that that has, you know, has come together. Uh, what ne- hasn't necessarily been seen is like the many pivots that I made, the many like stages of burnout, 
Um, and then the like losing money uh, and trying, you know, having a passion about doing something, losing quite a bit of money, trying to make it work. And um, my business is way different than what I imagined it to be when I started. And so like just kind of riding this, this roller coaster of figuring out what to do. Yeah, but it's been really fun. And honestly, the podcast has been one of the most fun things that I've done. It's a short podcast. It's like 20 minutes long and it's either like quick interviews or just kind of me sharing, sharing ideas and answering questions. And I don't know, I, I just, I think deeply about kids. I care really, really deeply about kids. Um, whatever, what I do is kid-centered work. And so sometimes I have felt this like that I'm like a little bit out of the norm in the way that I practice music therapy. Um, and what I have found is that I, you know, so I don't, I'm not like this activity-based goal, objective-based music therapist. I'm very much like a play-based music therapist. And a lot of my, um, my work is, uh, as my mentors call it, quote unquote, clinical fun <laughs> with kids. Um, and we're, of course, we're working on goals, but it is there's so much about what happens in the in play and in fun. So it's been refreshing to find that a lot of people um, relate to that. A lot of people feel that also. A lot of people even have mentioned to me that they they feel the pressure to be someone that they aren't, and they are more of the clinical fun kind of of music therapist, um, but they feel pressure to to you know be somebody who they aren't, be a clinician that they aren't necessarily, or um, the environment that they are working in requires them to do things quite a bit differently. And you know, so the podcast has really opened up my eyes to everybody's different approaches and just a community of people who who are all just exploring like I am. <laughs> Yeah. I like that term, clinical fun. <laughs> yes. It's so but it's so true, right? There's so much good that happens when we just have fun and when we get to live in the humor and the fun and and the playfulness that life is. And when we have someone who's intentionally and clinically providing opportunities for kids or for um anyone of any age to have that very intentional fun. Um yeah, it's it's incredible what we can see and and what we can accomplish. Yeah, that curiosity and willingness to adapt. And I was just uh, doing actually a podcast interview with Carrie Devlin and Hakeem Leonard for my podcast this morning. And, and, and Carrie was mentioning like, you know, if a child is interested in a little piece of carpet that is, <laughs> that is up on the floor, like be interested with them, look at that. And like, you know, what is that? And, and I was thinking too about a podcast interview I did last, last week with uh, my mentors and uh, Lori Kubitschek and Kimberly Kerr. And they were talking about like vocal play and sound effects. And I was thinking like, yeah, that little squiggly piece of carpet that's coming out of the floor. I mean, it's perfect for a sound effect, right? And suddenly you're giving um, the child the opportunity to, um, to create a relationship with you with something that is, is normally something we would ignore, but a child doesn't ignore it. They're interested in it. And so why not just go there with them and then work work something as silly as that into um, your relating and into your music and into your goals and objectives. Yeah. Is it, is it Nordeff Robbins who they really focus on like the music child 
Mm-hmm. I think it is. And th- that kind of just brings to my head that kind of similar thought when you were talking about that, being inquisitive with them. Um, you know, we all kind of have that childlike curiosity within us. And I think as we grow up, as we get all of these titles and all of these labels and operate in these you know, hierarchies of position, we kind of tend to lose that connection to our childlike, um, you know, questioning and just having fun and free of inhibition and creativity. And as music therapists working with children, I think we have an excuse to connect back with, with that. And it becomes some of the best most fulfilling sessions that I've ever had working with children when I'm able to, you know, look at the world from their eyes and and invite, when they invite me into their world, just to be really conscious about that and really, you know, pay attention to what it is that they're trying to get me to notice about their world. And I see things completely different and I love it. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes, exactly. I think that's why like working in the age group that I work with, which tends to be like zero to six, I just, I just love it. It, it, it does. It like puts some childlike wonder into your life and it helps you notice the little things and appreciate the little things. And it makes everything, um, everything up for grabs. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing off limits. We just had a Mm -hmm. conversation um, earlier on with uh, Creative Dementia Collective, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about radical um, creativity, radical, um, what was the term they used? Radical authenticity. Authenticity. Nice. (laughs) And I think that's true too for like both generations, like working with children and working with older adults that have dementia. There's this, you know, ugh just a whole bunch of radical emotions that are happening and things that we're learning about each other, but there's kind of no filter. And that's what makes it so special what, what's being offered in those sessions. You kind of can't, you can plan for them You as, as you get more experienced, but I feel like there's something in us that just has to continue to go with the flow and adapt to what's happening. Yes. Yes. We talk about that all the time with music for kiddos. It's like, like you have tools in your toolbox. You have like a, you can have like a vague idea of what you're going to do. And it really depends on like on the day or who you're working with. But even if you're working one-on-one, you know, you probably have more opportunities for flexibility, but even in a group, you have opportunities for flexibility. Um, A lot of the songs that I write, um, I write kind of like a solid A section. It's like our foundation, you know, that we're we're going back to musically. And then B is like, I don't know, like the B section is going to be like, uh, maybe this is like where you do some creative movement, or maybe this is where you do like this stop, you know, go, 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 stop, freeze and, and stuff like that. Um, maybe this is where we're exploring on the drum and you just kind of go where the child is going. And so you have all of these options and more, there's always more. So you have these options in your back pocket. And then whenever we let that like loose music experience happen, this flexible music experience happen, it's all right. It can be like completely off the wall. It can be completely off the wall, 
melodically, harmonically, lyrically. You can do it all with like animal sounds. Like you can do, <laughs> you can do so many things. But what makes it like solid musically and structurally is that you have that A section to return to at any point. It's like the B section can float up in the air and it can be really, really, you know, improvisational and flexible. And all of a sudden, when you go back to A, you're, you're solid again. And then when, if you want to go back to B, you can be more flexible and, you know, explore and follow their ideas and try things and risk things that may not work because whenever you need to, you have that solid A section back again. That's awesome. Just to think about life kind of that way. We always have things that we come back to. We can have a steady A section. You talked about burnout a little bit as well. And I feel like there's a lot of people that can relate to to that. Um, There are always things that kind of draw us back in and we can lean on and ground us. I don't know if you, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about about that journey and how, yeah. um, you know, there have kind of been ups and downs within your practice. Yeah, I have I, I haven't really pinpointed like the exact, you know, sometimes I'm still like, what happened? Um, but it happened multiple times. So I was burnt out um, after my internship, I experienced burnout, um, which is shocking because my internship was an incredibly valuable and rich and wonderful experience. And I had an incredible supervisor. So it doesn't matter. Like it can be a rich, valuable experience with an incredible supervisor and you can still at the end of it be burnt out. Um, And that happened with all of my jobs too, that eventually led to burnout. They were amazing. I loved them. Um, They were successful, you know, successful music therapy programs. But whatever I was doing in my life, my personal life, it just, that was what led to the burnout. I wasn't taking care of myself um, in these intense situations. Um, And that that is pretty much what I kind of come back to again and again. And what happened is I would, so I would say I've experienced burnout three times after my internship. Um, And then, you know, uh, you know, a few years apart. And what happened is I thought, oh gosh, I need to change where I'm working. I need to pick up and change my environment and change the kids that I'm working with. And, you know, um, at one point I even went and worked in adult hospice. You know, I thought maybe it's just kids that are wearing me out, you know? And what I ultimately found out was when I moved to another environment, nothing changed. Um, and it was all about me and how I was caring for myself and how much I was overworking um, and, you know, all of that. I, I think being a, um, a highly passionate person, um, I have absolute tendency for burnout. Um, and I think finally within the last four years, I have solved it. So here's a couple of things that I have found out for me. I think everybody's different. Um, one is that I needed community. I needed to be talking to other music therapists like regularly um, because as much as family and friends not in the field can talk with you and support you, if there's something different when it is somebody who is experiencing what you're experiencing day to day. So that was a huge one for me. That changed everything for me. And interestingly, I found that online because I'm in a state that doesn't have a lot of music therapists um, and it worked. 
online, it worked. Um, so I needed to find community. And then thing number two for me that might be different for other people um, is that I'm, I'm very introverted. Um, and so going to work for eight to 10 hours a day, working with kids back to back to back to back to back was just draining. It was just really, really draining. And even like half a day for me was really draining. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that I am a music therapist, even if I'm not doing clinical work full-time. My friend, uh, Mabel, she mentioned that she, she said, you know, nurses, you have nurses who are actual nurses. Like, you're, see, oh my gosh, I caught myself. You have nurses who are doing clinical work. <laughs> you have nurses who are doing administrative work. You have nurses who are uh, managing exclusively. You have nurses who are, I mean, fill in the blank. They're doing all kinds of different roles. Some of them work at home, just double checking people's notes, right? And um, for some reason, as music therapists, we have this idea that music therapists are people doing this full-time clinical work. And, you know, I've really had to learn, no, I am a music therapist and I work mostly from home on my computer. <laughs> yes. Oh, like, I'm like snapping my fingers over here and dropping. 100% agree. And I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because Haley and I had a, a conversation very recently about that concept of, well, what does it mean to be a music therapist and how much do we have to work? And thank you so much for sharing your story of, of, of that journey, um, because I think it's exceptionally relevant to what many music therapists and what many people in the helping profession experience anyway. But it's something that I had to navigate a little bit, too, of what is this identity of being a music therapist if you're not working 15 hour days or seeing seven clients or yeah. back to back? And it, it, that's that's an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. We are all different. There are absolutely some people who draw that energy from um, clinical work and can potentially have a heavier caseload of individuals that they work with. But just because you're not seeing clients back to back to back to back doesn't mean you are not a music therapist or that you're not doing good work. It's just the threshold that we have. And um, yeah, learning learning what that unique journey is for each of us. I, I think it, it takes time for everyone, but I, I really appreciate that being highlighted because I don't think we talk about it enough. I agree. I don't think we talk about it enough either because I think there was a weird, a little bit weird feeling of shame when I stepped away from a lot of clinical work but it, it took me three rounds of burnout. So I hope to save somebody from that, like that experience where they have to like, they feel they have to leave the profession. And, you know, now I know music therapists who tell me, who tell me, wow, I'm really an online person. You know, I'm really a work from home person and I have a handful of clients. And then I do all of this other work where I'm, you know, uh, providing resources or educating music therapists or just being in community with them in some way, shape or form or, you know, I think it's really changed things. And I think 2020 also helped people realize that, you know, some of us probably needed that. <laughs> I, I'm kind of speechless right now because I, I just resonate so deeply with what you're saying. And um, you're, you're so right. And these conversations, I hope, will continue to happen and by people sharing their stories and their experiences. And like you said, hopefully that will stop someone else from, from feeling those same things or from going down um, a similar path of needing to experience burnout over and over and over again. Um, 
hopefully the sooner we can open these conversations and really truly let people lean into our our radically authentic journeys and experiences and needs uh, that we'll all be better as it as pra- as therapists as a field as individuals <laughs> yes and i hope that our field can can support new music therapists through that more effectively and it's probably the ones who've been through the burnout and stuff who need to do that. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who said the burnout started right after their internship. You know, I think internship can be hard in a lot of ways. And, and so, you know, what are we going to do about that as a field and make sure that we don't have these, these people who spend years and years and years and have all this passion for music therapy, um, leaving a profession that they care a lot about because, because it's unsustainable in one way or another. And, you know, one way is, is this, this like workload that is required to make a livable income. You know, I was working a hospital job and I also had a private practice because I needed the extra income for my family, you know, after, and, and that is something that, that overwork led to burnout. So there's, it's so multifaceted. It's, it's income. Um, it's, uh, it's community support. It's that so many music therapists are like the only one, like so isolated in their facility, and they don't have that day-to-day support. Um, so there are definitely things that need to be in place to help support not just young music therapists, but all music therapists. Yeah, I, I, while the concept of burnout is so universal, right? I've spoken with, I go to a, a clinical supervision group where we have multiple therapists from different, you know, in different seasons of their practice and it's something that we all experience no matter if you've been practicing for 20 plus years or five years or less than that you know um there there are always pivots that are happening and i i think that the way that we are tackling those pivots the way that we're able to adapt it really speaks volumes and if we're not aware of what we need to take care of ourselves and what we need to be sustainable for our families, for ourselves, for the environment that we're in, you know, we are at risk for putting ourselves in a really bad position for burnout. Um, And it's something I'm very vocal about. (laughs) I have started to be a little bit more vocal about. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation because, you know, I'll be completely candid. It's something that I'm navigating in this moment in in this season of practicing, um, which Kim just, we literally had a conversation (laughs) about this very, very recently. So it's incredible. You'll, You'll never know how much what you just said really, really resonated with me. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. It's amazing how many of us have gone through that, you know, and I'm sorry to hear that you're navigating that right now. And uh, it's just amazing. And we all just need to support each other and talk about it openly and, and work together to figure out how to, how every, how everybody can feel supported. One of the first points that you mentioned as something you learned about yourself is that community piece and feeling connected. And I, I 100% resonate with that. Pretty much every music therapist I've ever spoken to also resonates with that. We're small, but mighty. We're on, um, on the rise and there are more and more music therapists and allies popping up all over the place. But yeah, it is truly different getting to connect with someone who understands and is in a similar 
mindset and, and experiences you. And so I think that's a really important thing to do is to continue to find ways to engage with other music therapists, whether it's through uh, the online avenue of Instagram, Facebook, emails, or whether it's engaging in yeah group supervision or, or going to conferences or just any way to really feel that connection and continue to have these conversations and, and highlight everyone's experiences. Absolutely. Navigating stressful situations and unexpected challenges can be alarming no matter your age, but especially for young girls. In order to accomplish everyday tasks with self-confidence in times of worry or doubt, you need strategies that you can depend on. That's why we are excited to announce that the Sing It Girls program is now being offered in the Kingston area. The Sing It Girls program is focused on equipping young female identifying individuals aged 7 to 15 with strategies to help build confidence, decrease anxiety, and encourage connections to peers and self. The program does this through various creative exercises such as stretching, chanting, songwriting, music and imagery exercises, group vocal play, meditative toning, progressive muscle relaxation, and breathing techniques for relaxing and singing. Visit www.mtahaley.com or mtakimberly.com to learn more about the upcoming programs in the Kingston region. Let's sing it, girl! Sing it, girls, we rock. Sing it, girls, don't, don't stop. Sing it, girls, sing it loud. Sing it, girls, sing it proud. Sing it, girls, we rock! And now, back to the episode. Um, I did want to to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, earlier, you mentioned your songwriting and and how that kind of came out of again noticing your need and and your authenticity of yeah some of these songs aren't really fitting with my style. But I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that experience and what inspires you to write therapeutic um, or learning songs for children. Yeah, um, I think that I am so fascinated by how I like the structure of music. I'm fascinated by how each little piece of music can contribute to its success in working with kids. So like you have all of these different elements of music that can be stacked and manipulated and changed. Um, things like lyrics and song form and, you know, harmony and melody and timbre and all, all of these things can be stacked um, on top of each other. And I'm just also so fascinated by like musical cues, you know, using cadences and using rhythm and using these different things to communicate in music. So I like to write songs that require very little verbal communication, meaning like the music does as much communication as possible so that that kids can be successful immediately and the instructions are within the song. <laughs> so, and not only are they like within the song, but they're like so clear within the song. So if you're about to stop, then you have uh, the melody cadence, you have the, you know, chordal cadence, you have the lyrical and you have the rhythm, like you have all these things stacked at once because some kids are gonna be able to process the rhythm 
exclusively. Some kids are going to be able to process the cadences and, you know, maybe some kids are going to be able to process the lyrics faster, but that's less likely, right? So um, you have all of these different things stacked. Whereas if you only required on lyrics to communicate in your music and your music wasn't also highly communicative, you would probably miss some kids. Some kids wouldn't understand the songs. They wouldn't understand the instructions. So I find if I stack all of that information, then it's more likely that kids are going to be able to participate. When kids are able to participate successfully, of course, that leads to other things like you can actually work on their goals, <laughs> like, but also like confidence and being part of a team. And you know that like, you know, when you're like dancing with people at a wedding or whatever, and like this, a certain song comes up and there's this part that everyone knows to stop, right? And then you start again. There's something like magical about that. So now imagine you're four <laughs> and being four is magical in and of itself, but being four and being involved in music is magical. So now imagine you're in a group of 25 kids in year four and you are, you can participate with them and process that with them and be involved in the music with them. So, so anyway, um, when I write songs for kids, I am trying to be like highly communicative, fun, and, um, and engaging, you know, you can't, you can't work on goals and objectives with kids unless you have their attention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, it's, it's a whole inspiring element to itself, right? Like when you really think about all the elements of music that we have to work with to be so communicative, if we're not just relying on, and now we stop, how much more fun we can have in the music, how much more engaging and rich we can make that. Um, and yeah, like you said, how much more inclusive it is, how we're not leaving people out of the, the conversation because we're covering our basis on so many different levels. Um, yeah, I really love that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think in over the last couple of years, I've written about 300 songs. <laughs> yeah. And, and so at first it was like, how do I get inspired to write songs, you know, and, and now it's like, okay, I need to use the world around me. I need to be really curious about the world around me. Like I'm like, I'm a child, you know, that child wonder and, and look and see, and some of the most successful songs that I've written are just silly they're just utterly silly like I have a Halloween song called the shy little monster um and it's also a book and you know the it has all of these different goals built in it you can talk about voice volume and you can talk about friendship and helping your friends and you can talk about feeling a little shy and it's got all of these elements in it but when it comes down to the song it's these monsters dressed up in Halloween costumes saying zibbity zabbity flippity flappity bippity boppity boo so there's all of this stuff happening in here in the song but when it comes down to it the kids just can't get enough of it because they're they're yelling zibbity zabbity flippity flappity bippity boppity boo <laughs> oh that's incredible i I look forward to your hearing every time you come out with a new song or a new song challenge, all of the wonderful things that come out of it, just because I feel like it just pushes that boundary of creativity. Um, and you said earlier that you knew you were a songwriter, you connected with that kind of identity. And I think it's really tough sometimes for 
for people to, you know, take that on as something that they're good at um, or that they can do, I should say. And I wonder what what is your pro- what does it look like when you sit down to write a song? You you mentioned about, you know, how do you get inspired? I think that's also a roadblock for some people. What have you found to push back um, or push through some of those boundaries of songwriting? I've actually thought about this a lot because um, by the time you write so many songs, you're just you're just out of ideas, right? And so I um, I get a lot of requests for songs, which is really nice. I always appreciate people's ideas because that gets me a little bit further. But some of the things that I do for myself is, for example, I write like a monthly lesson plan and I do kind of like a brain dump. So say it's on like, I don't know, a pumpkin patch or something like that. I'm thinking like scarecrow. And then I take the word scarecrow and because I'm often looking for something lyrically interesting. So sleepy scarecrows, like silly scarecrows, you know, I'm like looking for like alliterations or something funny in there. Um, I go and I look at like my props, like I, right now I'll show you, you guys are on video. I have like a balloon ball. And so, um, you know, I'll go look at props and I'm constantly like looking for new instruments and different things to use. And then I try and look at them, you know, like egg shakers, they can be in pockets. They can be, you know, like, uh, they don't have to be like, they can be a different kind of shaker. You can hide egg shakers. You can do all these different kinds of things with egg shakers. So I take every possible thing that I can think of to do with an egg shaker. I try and add something lyrical to it. And once I have like a little lyric, something catchy lyrically for me, then the music part is very easy as, as long as I can can get some lyrics going, but I will literally like write down. And sometimes I'll like use my eight-year-old and my husband and I'll say, okay, like think of everything you can think about, about dinosaurs, like a catchy little phrase. And, you know, so when I wrote my dinosaur lesson plan, like one of my favorite songs in there is like, how you going to roar dinosaur, you know, and you have to like, you know, you just think of lines and then all of a sudden it's like, how you going to roar dinosaur, you know, and it's like, okay, the music's here. <laughs> like, um, and it just kind of pops up. Um, another thing I do musically, because musically I find I get stuck in ruts too. So um, is I will go listen like on Spotify. I'll just start going through songs I've never heard before. And sometimes like a new key or a new chord progression will get kind of an idea in my mind. And it's certainly not copying because it's just kind of like listening to a new, a new idea um, sparks a different idea. And I always make sure I'm, I'm not copying it anyway, in any way, shape or form, but I gain, gain inspiration from other people's chord progressions or other people's melodies so that I get out of my regular melodic um, patterns. I understand what you mean with like pulling from other people's music too. And sometimes I'll be even just listening to the radio and have yeah. that aha moment of like, Ooh, that was a cool progression. Let I want to explore where that could take me. And um, something really fun can come out of that because it's not something that when you go to sit down at the piano or the guitar or the piece of paper that you would naturally think of, um, it's kind of sparked and then um, the rest of the inspiration comes. And I find it, it frees me out of the rigidity rigidity is that a word mm-hmm. Rigid- <laughs> takes me out of the the rigidity of like okay first I sit down now I write this then I do this <laughs> yes absolutely and sometimes I'll mess around on different instruments I will get away from my guitar um, I take guitar lessons because 
one of the biggest benefits of taking guitar lessons is that I'm constantly learning other people's music. And so my guitar, I get, I, you know, it's not that I like all of a sudden I'm learning necessarily new chords and stuff. It's just like the longer I've been in guitar lessons, the more creative I can personally be on the guitar, which doesn't really make sense. I mean, it makes sense to me, but um, it's so funny. I thought, I would thought, oh gosh, I'll go learn some new chord progressions and things like that. And it hasn't really been that. It's been more like um, my own understanding of the guitar has, has expanded and that helps my songwriting. Um, but like I recently have been writing songs with like power chords on the acoustic guitar and lots of muting, which I haven't previously done very much. And, you know, the more that I do it and the more I'm like trying things like drop D and stuff like that, just anytime I can modify my guitar a little bit, I, I get new melodic ideas. And, and um, then the, on the flip side of that is that I never want my songs to be too complicated that people can't play them while they're dancing or moving around or things like that. So they also have to be simple enough. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a challenge. Yeah, that's totally fair. It's an extra layer to think about of the practicality of how is this going to be used? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it's so fun that you're saying that you're expanding um, your comfort with, with guitar really. I find the same thing whenever I get to spend a chunk of time with an instrument, even if I'm not necessarily learning new elements, but I'm just, I find, I find our relation, um, our connection to instruments is like a relationship. And the more time yeah. I actually get to invest, the more familiar I am with it. And so therefore the more comfortable, um, and the more easily I can express and explore. Um, yeah. 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 I yeah. love that. That's awesome. It can also like relationships. If we're, you know, doing the same old routine over and over and over again, we can get stuck in a rut. And so sometimes it's okay to just sit down and try something different and see if that it inspires a new direction or something ignites a, a different kind of passion within that relationship with that instrument. So yeah, I, I love the idea <laughs> like this metaphor I'm probably going to run with that a little bit more and learning all of my instruments and um, figuring out every single way I can use that like we were talking about egg shakers I have two egg sh shakers sitting right here next to me I'm going to just play with those a little bit this weekend and see, <laughs> see what fun ideas can come out of that yeah one of the songs that surprises me the most I don't know. It doesn't surprise me a ton, but I have a song called Shake of My Egg and it's a really simple song, but there's this section, this like hide it section. So kids hide it. And on telehealth during like 2020, that was like the biggest lifesaver song for so many people because it was something that could be done online. And it was something that was so engaging for kids. And yeah, so just, just thinking about the different the different things, you know, I love like thunder tubes and quack sticks and all the things that require just a little bit of participation that you get a, you know, big bang for your buck. <laughs> I wonder, um, I know you sent us one of your one of your um, songs that you've written. I wonder if if you might feel comfortable either sharing one with us right now, or if not, if if we could maybe insert it for our audience to hear. Oh, sure. Um, well, let me just play a shake of my egg. How about that? Okay. Yay. It's <laughs> pretty fun. Let's see if my guitar's in tune. Can you hear that? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So it goes like this. Shaking my egg, shaking my egg, shake my egg all around. Gonna shake my egg, shake my egg from the ceiling to the ground. Gonna shake it up high, shake it up high, shake my egg all around. Gonna shake it up high, shake it up high from the ceiling to the ground. Every single day when I hear the music play, I shake, shake, shake. Moving in a groove and just shaking my egg till I hide it. Let's hide it. Do you think I'll find it? If you hide it. Oh. And then I cover my eyes and I slowly, oh, you know, take, take my hands off of my eyes and I say, you know, is it in your pocket? Are you sitting on it like a chicken? You know, the kids go, no, no. And so then they show me where the egg is. Shaking my egg, shaking my egg, shake my egg all around. Gonna shake my egg. Shake my egg from the ceiling to the ground. Gonna shake it down low, shake it down low. Shake my egg all around. Gonna shake it down low, shake it down low. From the ceiling to the ground. From the ceiling to the ground. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is a really fun song. <laughs> I played it a little bit fast um, for the kids to be able to understand it. But yeah, yeah, um, maybe a little slower than that in actual practice. <laughs> yeah, I was here shaking my egg, my egg shaker. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Along with you. Um, it's such an inviting song. And, and like you said, I think once you have somebody's interest, especially a child, once you have a child's interest, they're along for the ride with you. Um, and I can see so many benefits of using that song therapeutically. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, um, you know, implementation, right? Like a song is just a song. And I like my songs to be really, really adaptable so that they, they can be um, implemented in a different way. Now, that song is pretty structured and it kind of exists. You can just kind of play it as, as is. Um, but a lot of the songs I write have more of that like ABA kind of structure where this B section is 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 flexible and um, something that I love to talk to music therapists about is like how are you how are you using that um, because a song on its own can have a huge range of success based based on what you're doing you know based on your volume I always like to think of like a kid's sensory environment right like based on how they are doing and how they are responding to it and kind of this the sensory environment. Um, you know, as an instrument that you're using, like particularly um, high pitched or kind of like shrill or something like that. And are you, are you, are you helping or are you harming um, in a sensory way? And so um, just being aware of all of those different elements of a song really changes the way that you implement it in the moment. And so I love that those kinds of discussions. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I think along the lines of adaptability and kind of our focus and, and um, whether we're helping or hurting. This is a bit of a big question, <laughs> but we always like to find out what somebody's particular hope for the future of music therapy is. So I wonder if you can mm -hmm. share a little bit about what your hope is for the future of maybe your practice and music therapy as a whole. Yeah. I mean, I think about this a lot. I think music therapy um, as a field, we have a lot of work to do in equity and inclusion, 
Um, ableism is something I really think about frequently. Just, you know, the making sure that people can join our field without going to a private university that costs them $200,000. Um, you know, there are so many, so many things in music therapy um, that I think we have the ability to work on. And fortunately, we are a group of people that overwhelmingly cares very, very deeply about other humans. And so I think it can be done. Um, I think that some some parts of our field though are um, stuck. <laughs> I think that they're stuck and, and that some people need to maybe open their, their minds and their hearts a little bit and understand that there is, that you know, some shifts need to be made. So I have an online conference every year in November. Um, and I don't, this, it may pass by the time this, this airs, but it's, um, it's called the Music for Kiddos Symposium. And we have such an incredible range of speakers. And I, and what I, what I'm trying to do, like in our continuing education offerings and the things that we're doing at Music for Kiddos is I'm trying to find people who are innovators and at the forefront of things like social justice and um, equity and inclusion. And um, because we have the opportunity as clinicians, as teachers, as um, people in our field, we have the opportunity to um, be with kids when they are young <laughs> and show them how valuable they are and how much worth they have and how truly wonderful they are just exactly how they are and so um that is i mean that is my hope for music therapy is that we can be a field that is at the forefront of that for you know everything for kids kids at all ages because we are that went that door you know to to kids we can be that person that shows them that they are just exactly right exactly how they are and um so, you know, if music for kiddos can play just a little part in that, um, that would be a dream come true. And honestly, when it comes down to it, that is, that is the only thing I care about. <laughs> that was very, very well said. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to, to pause for a minute and let out the deepest sigh. I think I might've let out all day just it's such a, a beautiful hope. And I, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's attainable and showing this generation, these young, young people that they are exactly right, exactly as they are, what an impact that will have for them, what an impact that will have on our entire society and the way that we see ourselves and see our world. And um, it's, it's really beautiful. And I'm really, really um, inspired and hopeful to see that there are people like you out there putting that out into the world and advocating for for these young people for the field for just the way that I want to see the world in the field as well too so thank you for the work that you're doing and so so much for coming to share that with us today as well oh of course thank you for having me and yeah I think we can all play our part it's uh, we're so we're so fortunate to be in a position where we are a small field and, um, you know, I don't mind being a squeaky wheel <laughs> and, um, I don't think many other people do either. And, and we just have to do that. I think we have to do that in our field so that it becomes what we want it to be. It's one of those days 
We all have them. I'm feeling off and strange. Just one of those days. I feel nervous, a little bit nervous. We cannot feel it sometimes. I feel nervous, and all I want to do is dance. All I want to do is dance. Ooh, all I want to do is dance. All I want to do is dance. All I want to do is dance. Ooh, all I want to do is dance. It's one of those days we all have a. It's one of those days I feel mad, so mad. We can all feel it sometimes. I feel mad, and all I wanna do is stomp. All I wanna do is stomp. Ooh, all I wanna do is stomp. All I wanna do is stomp. All I wanna do. It's one of those days we all have them. I'm feeling off and strange. It's one of those days I feel confused, really confused. We can all feel it sometimes. I feel confused, and all I want to do is jump. listening to the Able Voice podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Synergy Music Therapy. You can also find links to our most recent and top-rated episodes on our website at www.synergymusictherapy.com.